Hey, and welcome to episode 54 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. How was your week, Shane? Uh, not too bad. Busy with work, a little disappointed with our skies, but I think we were rewarded last night. Yeah, so we, we got some observing in, some astronomy in, so we're uh, amateur astronomers. We do this because we love to do it, and uh, we do amateur astronomy and look at the stars through our small telescopes because we really enjoy doing it. And, uh, doing this podcast this is just another way to share that love eh yeah yeah it's fun to it's fun to put it out there and if other people enjoy it even better um but you know you and i've talked about this this podcast actually motivates us to get out to observe which is really good not that we really needed motivation but there's some nights where i would just probably stay on the couch um but you know i want to have something to talk about here so it helps me get out and do a little more activity under the stars yeah um, yeah, maybe me as well a little bit. Um, but you know, I'm often running my astronomy class, like I'm running it now. So usually that's motivation enough to make sure I'm, I'm staying on top of the course material. And then, uh, yeah, I just, I like doing these podcasts. It's fun to do. And what I find I get out of it, it really helps me kind of organize some of my thoughts and, uh, bring together some ideas. And then, uh, you know, I'm trying to, uh, always create new and interesting content, uh, for, for course materials. So uh, let's, uh, let's hop in. Did, I'm going to say, I don't think you got out on Saturday morning to observe. Maybe we'll no. start there. No, I did not. Um, Friday night, uh, visual observation of Mars and the moon quite closely uh, aligned in the sky. Like, what were they about two or three degrees apart, I'm guessing? So, and they closed in pretty close, but I couldn't see it. Like, I like, was it cloudy where I, like, I mean, you live some 20 odd kilometers from me. So maybe you were just uh, getting slightly clearer skies to me, but it was, it was not clear at my house anyway. Yeah, that was, um, I'm trying to think what time. Gee, I think it was around 1030. I'd let the dog out for the last time. So um, I was tempted to grab a telescope, but I was just too tired. So I, yeah. I like I say, visual, it was kind of neat to see them so close. And then I went to bed, but last night was fantastic. Um, yeah. Well, I think, I think on Friday night, they did close in really tight. Uh, I am just surprised to hear, cause I did go to kind of look for it. Uh, was it conjunction properly? And uh, yeah, it was, maybe I just missed it. I think maybe I went out at eight or something and it was cloudy. And I mean, it was really cloudy at eight. So uh, I think I just kind of, you know, uh, set the alarm and, and I got up at, uh, at five and uh, went out and there was cloud coming in like more cloud and so I knew I had only a few minutes or maybe 10 minutes or something so not enough time to to put a scope out so I walked out into the middle of my street with binoculars okay so I had a nice look at it uh, at Mars and the moon and by that point they were about four or so degrees apart so I think in the evening I think they closed into around uh, under a degree a tenth oh, of a degree wow. or something. Yeah, it, it apparently it got pretty close. I didn't see it, um, but I did see some photos on. Uh, I'm on a couple different lists. I think you're on one of the lists I'm on for the for the sketching and the drawing, and yeah. then I'm on um, our committee list for for uh, visual observing uh, is pretty pretty active. So, um, and it's kind of weird because I know there's lists in in Canada for uh, visual observing, but um, I think a lot of us have found them to be kind of uh, 
vacant of observations of late right. for some reason. Right. So we've we've turned our, our internal committee into uh, more of that type of thing, which is great. But I don't know, for whatever reason, it, it just seems to sort of stay inside that, uh, that committee. Um, let's see what else. So I, I observed uh, Mars and the moon just with binoculars, but Mars, it's so close now. Like even in my seven by 35s, I can see it as like an obvious disc. I feel like, I feel like I almost wanted to run in and try to mount the seven by 35s to see if maybe I could see detail. I kind of feel like I might've been able to see detail on it if, if I had been able to mount them steadily. Un wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. That would like, be quite the observation because even Jupiter with seven by 35s, you know, hard to make out any cloud bands there too. Yeah. Those, those features are a little bit more subtle. Like I find like there, there's not as much contrast there. Right. But, mm -hmm. uh, but with Mars, there's some pretty good contrast, but uh, I didn't, I would, I was just thinking it would have been, it would have been something to, uh, to try to see. Um, but I could see them like in the same field of view, my binoculars have about a nine degree field of view. And this was uh, just around half of that field. And uh, yeah, it was just really neat to be able to see like Mars as a disc and like lunar craters and stuff, like all in the same uh, go. It was really oh. neat. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's awesome. That's neat. When thing when, when some of these planetary objects get close together or solar system objects. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of, sorry, like started in my driveway and then, you know, I can see Mars and, and the moon and then I kind of have to walk out onto the sidewalk and I could see M42 and, uh, you know, that's the, the nebula in, in Orion's sword. I can see the whole sword and the belt and it's a nice view, like in a small little binocular, like a seven by 35. Uh, you can get the whole sword feature and the belt. And I just really like that, uh, like that field. Lots of sort of fainter stars all in around them. Like even when the, when the moon was up, you know, I can probably see more stars in there than you can uh, from, uh, from even a reasonably dark sky with, without any light pollution around. So the binocular really kind of punches through a lot of that stuff. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and the neat thing too, a little bit of a sidetrack here on M42 is that I, it's sort of like a, a planet, uh, but it's like a planet in terms of detail, but you know, it's a nebula. And what I mean is like when I'm observing a planet, I will spend an hour or two observing the planet, uh, mm -hmm. trying to take in all of the detail, um, see, you know, maybe some minute features that would be overlooked if you uh, had a quick glance. And I feel like M42 is very similar in that nature. It's this giant nebula that is full of structure, full of detail. Mm -hmm. And if you spend a lot of time at the eyepiece, you can really pull a lot of it in. Yeah. Um, and it's so bright and massive that it's kind of a fun thing to look at for a long period of time. It's just unfortunate that our eyeballs are usually frozen shut if we, yeah. you know, if we're observing it in season, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. So, uh, but through the seven by 35s, you're just really, you're really just seeing it um, for the most mm -hmm. part as, as like a fuzzy spot around the, in amongst those stars. But, mm -hmm. but really like, you know, you can see like, I think it's NGC 1981, which is a big open cluster just uh, to the north or just above it from, from here in the Northern hemisphere. Um, you know, that's kind of neat um, to be able to see that. And then the belt structure, which is a colander open cluster and, Anyway, so, um, and then I kind of sort of turned around to walk in and I could see that uh, uh, Venus and, and Regulus were, uh, were having their pulse or applause or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, and then that's kind of when I sort of, 
you know, walk backwards into my street. My street is just a tiny little street. People should know that it's not like a busy, a busy street at all. So uh, anyway, and uh, they were super close. I could see like they were just far enough apart that you could really see Venus and Regulus, which is the brightest star in, um, in Leo. And it was a neat sight. It was pretty neat to be able to see them. Um, and that was the only thing I observed this morning was uh, Venus and Regulus. Again, they, they've uh, moved a little bit further apart. They're about three or four degrees apart now. And, uh, but last night, last night was a good night. Tell us about that. What did you see? Yeah. Um, well, it was all Mars, uh, you know, and, and last night I said, Shane, I'm going to look at Neptune tonight. And I didn't do that. I didn't even try, in fact. No. Yeah. <laughs> Mars was just so darn good. Yeah. Um, I did not take the telescope off of it. Um, you know, I, like you and I were texting a little bit last night because we were both observing. And um, I mentioned that seeing was pretty good. But I think the other factor, maybe even a bigger factor, was how good the transparency was last night. Um, mm -hmm. I just felt like I was... Uh, I was just able to see so much like fine detail on Mars with my little 76 millimeter telescope. Um, I was really, really impressed. Like um, Certus Major really popped out and it, it sort of looked like a, like what I would call like an alligator with his mouth open, uh, you know, on the right hand side. Now, yeah. Yeah. Our, that's our a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Through our telescopes, the image is left, right, reversed. So I guess in, in true reality, it would be on the um, Western, Western side, I guess, yep. of Mars. But yep. um, yeah, it kind of looked like this alligator mouth opening with like a bunch of irregularity around it. The upper part of, say, the alligator jaw, I felt was a lot darker. And then mm -hmm. it sort of extended back into the body, you know, if you want to keep going on this alligator analogy, um, where it sort of opened up a little bit at the back into a bit of a Y almost. And again, like really, really dark through there. Like I was, through yeah. that whole dark region, I was able to see the different... Do you know what region that readings. is? Um, well, isn't that Certus Major in, in and around there? So so the, the first area that you're talking about, like that mouth being open, mm -hmm. that's uh, Certus Major. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this or not, or like, I mean, I couldn't believe the detail I was getting last night. I think that that's probably the most detail that, that I've seen on Mars um, through a telescope that I own. Um, yeah. I was just uh, blown away. But anyway, the, the jaws that are open, that's really, that, that area, only that area is Certus Major just okay. the jaws okay. and okay. that dark area that's cutting back the kind of, it has a bit of an arc to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's sinus sabius. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. Sort of that, that body. And then, uh, I mean, there's lots of other features. I, I can call them up and go, go over them all, but uh, th those are sort of the main uh, dominant features. Now where the jaw is open, I don't know. Did you see anything in the region uh, sort of in the mouth of the, of the alligator? Well, you, you were texting about some clouds and I, you know, when I was at the eyepiece, it, it didn't jump out at me, but then after mm. you sent me that text and I looked, I thought, well, maybe I'm seeing that, but like, I don't, I don't want to say that I did see it because I'm yeah. not a hundred percent sure. I'm not sure if I had enough aperture for that or not. Um, hard to tell, hard to tell. 
Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, what else? Did you see the polar caps? Because I, yeah. I have lots of observations on this. Yeah. The, the southern polar cap, like, man, did that ever pop out? It seems to be shrinking a lot, even in just like the last week or two, I would say. Um, I don't know if you felt the same, but I, when I looked at this just a couple of weeks ago, I thought that it was a, a little bit like more ovalish. Mm -hmm. And last night I felt it was more of a circle, like it's re recessing a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I did, so I did do a little bit of uh, kind of gear comparisons as well last night. So I did primarily all of my observing with a six millimeter super mono. So that mm -hmm. gave me 160 times in my little three inch, which, you know, that's, you know, typically 50 times per inch of aperture is, is like the magnification law or rule mm -hmm. of thumb. Um, but like I even put in a five millimeter, which gave me 180 times and it was still pretty darn good, but yeah. I, you know, I, I was losing a bit of the contrast at that point. So anyway, um, what I also compared, I, I recently uh, acquired a, a Takahashi 10 millimeter LE eyepiece, you know, fairly oh. well regarded. Is this um, the, is it, so which ver is this one of those newer ones with the green lettering? Well, the, the newer ones have the white lettering, I believe. And the oh. older ones have the like kind of lasered etched green lettering. Okay. Well, which one did you get? I have the green one. Yeah. The, the little bit older one. And um, it's a pretty nice eyepiece. Uh, you know, it's funny. You get used to the super monos that have a 30 degree field of view and you put in an eyepiece with a 52 degree field of view and it feels yeah. like you're just swimming in stars. It, it just seems gigantic. Yeah. Um, so I did compare it to the 10 millimeter super mono and you know, I just, I can't explain this scientifically because it doesn't make sense. And you're not a scientist. And I'm not a scientist. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an IT guy. <laughs> um, um, what, what I like, and I've noticed this many times when I compare very simple eyepieces like super monos or orthos, and I compare yeah. them to like multi lens, you know, fancy eyepieces, you put in the simple eyepiece and it's like you improve seeing by a mm -hmm. factor of one. And that happened between the LE and the Super Mono. I'd go back and forth a few yeah. times and it just seemed like the, the, the LE definitely had a little more light scatter, um, but it just seemed to bounce like the Mars image seemed, seemed to bounce a little bit more in it. Yep. And 100%. it just makes no sense. But um, so the other thing too, that I want to mention about the, the field of view uh, difference, you know, 30 degrees versus 52. Um, this is just purely like, you know, your optical illusion sort of occurring or, or, you know, impacting your brain and how it perceives. But like, you know, when you see the moon and it's rising and you see it on the horizon and it just looks enormous. Mm. And when you see it overhead and the moon looks so much smaller and it's, you know, because you have nothing to really compare it to. There's nothing close that you can, like a building or a car that gives you like a reference for its size. Mm hmm you know, and I felt like between those two 10 millimeter eyepieces, I yeah. felt like Mars looked so much larger in the super mono. Um, and I believe it's just because the field of view is so much smaller. Um, oh, it's always like close that... to the horizon. <laughs> the yeah. edge. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and the edge I is felt... more clearly defined in those eyepieces too. So. Yeah. And I, I, I felt like that just gave me a little bit of another boost or another edge yeah. in, in seeing a little more detail. Um, so that was Never kind of a fun of little that. comparison. Yeah, yeah. I've, Never thought of that. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, I've, since I've, like, I've never had eyepieces as narrow as the Supermonos, you know, 30 mm. degrees. 
Um, so I've never really made that observation before, but I've now noticed this multiple times when I've used a, a super mono pick your focal length mm -hmm. and then another eyepiece with a wider field of view of the same focal length. I just feel like it's easier to look through the super mono and take in the planet and be focused on it. Now, mm -hmm. whether there's anything to it, I don't know, but I, I've noticed that multiple times. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, the other thing I want to mention is I finally, finally got to test that uh, magenta filter from Vernon Scope. Oh, yeah. Uh, the number, Mars. what is it, a 30? 30 or 31. I should have looked at that before I started this. It's, uh, it's upstairs, so I don't... I don't yeah, I get the notification there. that my adapter was in at a Gina. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I bought this two years ago um, for the last Mars opposition. But, you know, we, it, the dust storm ensued on, on Mars and there really wasn't anything to see. So I never tested the filter at that point. There was no contrast, you know, on the planet. So it didn't make any difference. Uh, last night, um, and let me preface this. I think you know this about me. I'm not a, I've never been convinced that planetary filters do a lot for me. Um, at best, it was subtle improvements. But man, this magenta filter really, really shocked me. Um, the like those dark regions really, really became far more detailed around the edges and far more pronounced. I even felt like the uh, polar cap uh, stood out a lot clearer, um, a lot brighter. Yeah. Um, so what I did is I like I just I, I unscrewed the filter from the eyepiece and I screwed it into the diagonal just so that it was permanently there. And yeah. in fact, it's still in the diagonal and it probably won't come out until the end of the Mars season. Now, I was really, really impressed with how it improved the view. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. So how about you? Uh, what about your observation? Yeah, well, actually, I'll, I have some notes here. I'll start with my filter. So um, I started using the Bader contrast filter and, you know, I tried it a couple different ways and I think I can see like secondary color in it which you know because you're putting more glass in the in the optical uh, train mm -hmm. and I guess that's not surprising originally I thought maybe it was I was using it with the uh, the new uh, Nikon Barlow that I that I purchased which is uh, 1.6 magnification although the eyepieces stick out of it so my understanding is it really gives about like a 1.65 or 1.7 or something like that but uh Anyway, um, so I don't know. I was I was kind of in a take it or leave it uh, with the Bader contrast booster last night, and then the uh, Celestron Mars filter though, um, which apparently is really close to the number thirty magenta from Brandon. Okay. Um, and I agree hundred percent with you. Like, boy, I could really see a lot of the features a lot better with that Celestron Mars filter, um, which before I could kind of go back and forth a little bit. I thought it, I thought it worked good before, before we got so close to opposition day. And mm -hmm. now, now that Mars is so bright, um, I'm just collecting enough light in, in the four inch telescope that, uh, that, that sort of magenta colored, uh, filter is just bringing out so much detail. Uh, it was pretty ridiculous. So I was, I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah. You know, something else, just while we're on the topic of filters, yeah. like originally I had mine in the bottom of the eyepiece and I felt like I could see the glass there, like that it introduced a little more scatter. Oh, really? Um, uh, just a touch. Um, and maybe it was just the, you know, the ever evolving uh, seeing conditions. Um, but when I put it in front of the diagonal, 
again, maybe this is just like a mental thing, but it, I felt like it just did less of that in front of the diagonal. Hmm. Now, if there's anything to it, I don't know. I'm just hmm. a visual astronomer. Yeah. Well, you know, sort of in full disclosure, I tried a couple different uh, arrangements myself. I, I had it on the eyepiece at first. And then when I put it on the Barlow proper, like on the uh, nose piece, um, I didn't notice it after that. So okay. um, it could be something to do with, like, like you said, like where you're putting it into your optical path, maybe having it further up uh, for some reason, like the, like the light uh, rays or, or like, I guess, more linear or something at that point. So um, I guess that does, does make some sense. I don't have a one and a quarter inch diagonal though. And these are all like one and a quarter inch filters. So oh, yeah. sort of something on my list of things that I'd, I'd like to get eventually. Hey, did you use your Nikon five millimeter? Last night? Yeah. No, I probably should have. I'm, you know, I was so enamored by the, the super monos um, that I, I just didn't go back inside to grab anything else. But I, I really should, because I know you really, really liked how that, yeah. uh, how Mars looked through that eyepiece. Um, and it, you know, it is a nice eyepiece. I should give it a try. Yeah, you should. I'd be really curious to see. Do you have the five millimeter monocentric? Is there a five millimeter? I know there's a four uh, yeah, and a six. Yeah, there is. There is a five, uh, and I have that. And uh, that was part of my shootout between the Nikon five millimeter ortho, your Pentax XO, and the five yeah. millimeter super mono. Yeah, I'd really like to like to see the difference between that Nikon and the uh, monocentric. Um, I really miss that Nikon five millimeter SW more than, more than I thought I would when I gave it back to you. Like, I know I kind of joked around, but I, that is a really good eyepiece. I know the eye placement, you and I both agree on this. It's a little bit finicky, um, but I'm not sure that that is not the best wide field. Um, I think it just might be, uh, it has a really good wide field of view, which I, I've read various, there seems to be some debate on the actual, like uh breadth of the field, I guess, like the apparent field of view. So it's listed as having 72. I've seen places where it's listed as like 74. I've seen people report back that it's 65. But hmm. I, I think kind of once you get into that realm, you're sort of into the the mid-range of uh or you know bottom to mid-range of of what's considered a wide field eyepiece these days. But I, I think it's plenty wide enough. Um but I think it doesn't show as much color as the Pentaxes. And it's also much lighter of an eyepiece. And uh, that means that you can take more of them into the field with you, right? So, well, yeah, the, the, the ergonomics of it are, is, well, other than the eye placement, it yeah. is quite nice. Like, I, you know, it just feels good in your hand. Yeah. Uh, I like the adjustable eye guard, how it, you know, just screws, uh, like it's threaded, right? So you screw yeah. it up or down so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't slide up or down and you can just adjust it perfectly for where you want it. Um, yeah. Overall, yeah, like I, I do really like that eyepiece. The only other one I'm sort of curious about in that focal length is the Teleview Delight. Um, now, not as wide of a field of view. Yeah. You know, the reviews are, everybody raves about them online. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't mind trying one, but, you know, that's one too that... I guess what I'm saying is I, I'm always cautious when I read reviews online. Um, yeah, you and I have both been burned many times by online reviews, like, you yeah. know, not to point fingers or to mention too much specific gear, but um, like, and, and I don't know, I don't think, I, I don't know, maybe we're particularly particular. I don't know what to say because... 
Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. No, I mean, I'm just going to say like, um, you know, amounts that they might say, oh, this is stable and a good combination. You and I have found unacceptable, um, like independently and eyepieces that get rave reviews we found to be mediocre at best. Um, you know, and, and you and I tend to agree on, on these things. I think you're actually a little bit more, um, particular than I am to be perfectly frank, but, uh, but in, in general, we, we are mostly in agreement and, uh, you know, we kind of say, like, what are these, was this person talking about it? This is just not that good. Right. So I think mm-hmm. I even sent you an eyepiece, um, last night that I owned at one point in time. Yeah. And these go for a lot of money. I eventually sold it because of that. And, uh, you know, not to point too many fingers. Yeah, I don't want to say what it was or anything, but I thought it was just a pretty crappy eyepiece to be perfectly honest. That's why I sold, like I owned it and mm-hmm. I owned it for a number of years. And then I just went, why do I have this? Like, it's a neat looking eyepiece. It's different. It, it's out of production. It's a coveted eyepiece by lots of people. And people were always running me and asking me about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to sell it to the highest bidder kind of thing and uh, take that uh, money and, and go. I think I bought a, it pretty much mostly paid for one of my Pentax eyepieces, um, mm. which I think are way better. And and what's funny is I think I bought like the 14 or the 20 millimeter Pentax with that money, which get notoriously bad reviews. And I, yeah, that's exactly what I did. I, it was a, around a 20 millimeter eyepiece that I sold. And then I bought a 20 millimeter Pentax with it. And the pen, 20 millimeter Pentax gets horrible reviews. And I thought it was head and heels above this eyepiece. Which is yeah, there, there's so much variability in gear. Yeah, you know, one eyepiece um, used in multiple different telescopes with different diagonals or different telescopic designs will render far different views. There's so much subjectivity within the observer themselves, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of their tolerance for, you know, edge correction, eye relief. Um, how we all perceive color differently. Like there's just so many factors that go into it. It's why when I read a review online, I take it with a grain of salt. Um, And really I'm not looking for the the praises as much as I'm looking for what are people saying negatively about it? Yeah. uh, Because I feel like that's far more profound. Um, Because one other factor too, is just even the observer's history or experience of uh, observing with different equipment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to proclaim... Uh, any one eyepiece as a, a really great eyepiece, unless you've looked through a number of different eyepieces uh, in that focal length and ideally through a number of different telescopes, because then that really gives you the overall picture. Now, yeah. with all that being said, if you buy something and you like it, that's all that really matters. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and I totally, I totally agree. agree with that. Um, yeah. I was just kind of, you know, some of these more vintage eyepieces. I know you recently had an experience and we talked about that. Um, and this eyepiece, by the way, like is, is an eyepiece that's, uh, no longer in production. The company who manufactured it is no longer selling eyepieces or around anymore. So, um, you know, it's not something like that. Uh, another one I tried in the 20 millimeter range. Um, this one was really, this was the eyepiece I wanted to like the most. And it falls into that category of just not working for me. And it works for a lot of people and they're neat is the um, Orion telescope and binocular 20 millimeter. I think it's called the HD 80 degree 20 millimeter something like that. Mm, Um, And there was a number of things I really loved about it. So I borrowed it from Glenn Spears, who's a uh, a well-known Canadian manufacturer of eyepieces. And he he imports parts, then kind of puts together some really interesting and unique uh, items. And so he had one 
and loaned it to me. He, he said, I'll sell it to you basically at cost. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be buying this eyepiece. It looks beautiful. feels great in the hand. It's a 20 millimeter, 80 degree ish. So it, it's a big eyepiece, but it wasn't overly heavy. Had a nice, you know, uh, one of those screw cases to it. Um, I took it out, but you know, in a lot of ways that eyepiece is, is, is similar to the Nikon SW um, because I just couldn't get my eye placement to work well with it. And there's this, there's this gentleman online from the UK that we, we have this ongoing debate um, because he thinks that's like the be all to end all 20 millimeter. And I, I can kind of see that because it was flat it, in my F6. Um, everything was great, but I couldn't get the eye placement to work for me. But he has no problem with that at all whatsoever. And he thinks I'm completely out to lunch on this one. <laughs> and I think he's kind of out to lunch on it too. Um, but that just goes to show, and we're using similar telescopes too. So uh, it just goes to show that uh, everybody's mileage uh, does vary quite a bit. Um, and so, you know, the, the opinions expressed in this show are those of the authors and may not reflect <laughs> actual yeah. real world experiences. That you yeah. Have. yeah. So. Well, you've heard me say it many times and I stand by it. You just have to try stuff and see yeah. if you like it for yourself because exactly. um, of all of these things we've just talked about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, was really happy with the IEC 1.6 Nikon Barlow. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm really curious about this Barlow. Um, you know, I, I don't have a lot of use for Barlows, but I like to have a good Barlow in my kit. Um, I yeah. have that 1.8 TMB, which is renowned as one of the best ever made. The problem with it is it requires a, like a, an awful lot of inward focus travel. Mm -hmm. And like when I'm using my 76 with the Q extender, um, I can't get it to focus unless I start removing like adapters from the focuser, which is kind yeah. of a pain. So go yeah. on. I'm, I'm very curious about this Barlow. So there's, there's a lot to love about it. There's a couple small things to not love about it. Okay. So, so I'll start with, um, I think I'll start with the negatives because I, I don't, they're not showstoppers and right out of the gate, I'm, I'm going to keep it at least, uh, I believe I'm going to keep it. Um, and they are this, I quickly discovered because I think and I maybe even mentioned it in the podcast before, I definitely mentioned it to you. My plan was to take my seven millimeter Pentax and basically let it live in this, in this Barla. Mm -hmm. and that would give me like a 4.2 millimeter eyepiece. And I think that's a, that's a good magnification for the hundred millimeter. It gives me 175 magnification, mm. um, pretty much right on the nose. And I think that's a great magnification for a four inch telescope. Um, so great, and uh, put it in. Now, the way that you put this, this has one of those, what do you call it? It's like a rotating clamp. I'm not sure if I'm using the right word for it, but it's, it's very Takahashi in design oh, yeah. where, where you kind of have those two threaded rings. Um, but it doesn't have much range. And so the difference between being uh, locked onto the eyepiece and not is, you know, it's, it's not too much, which is good because you're not like turning it and turning it. But at the same time, um, in the dark, it, it can be a little bit futzy. Um, so that, and, and honestly, that kind of goes with any Barlow. Like there is a futz factor. And we've talked about that lots before. Mm -hmm. um, but considering I'm probably just going to use one or two eyepieces in it, um, that's not that big a deal. 
Now, this other thing is the most annoying thing with it. It has a non-standard um, barrel. I think the barrel on it is probably just one inch or something. Um, I have heard about this because it's designed for their uh, spotting. Spotting scopes, scope. yeah. yeah. So okay. that's not to be uh, unexpected, I suppose. And filters do thread into it, so that's good. But I, what I wanted to do was just take my um, bottom lens cap from my Pentax and uh, put that on. Nope, that didn't work. Hmm. So I'd be really curious to see if like your Nikon 5mm SW's bottom lens cap would actually thread onto that. That I would like to know. So well, the we bottom can... lens cap is that stupid contraption with the, you know, while the yeah. top cap is also attached. Uh, I suppose, yeah. Well, I guess maybe it's a match made in hell then for those two particular things. <laughs> I don't know. Because at least then you could just have that cap. Maybe that cap would fit on your, I don't know. If it fits, so anyway, I think, I think you can actually take those rubber bands off and, and just have the lower cap if, if it fits. So we can definitely give that a try. Yeah, like, and maybe that's just notes for Nikon. Nikon, love your optics, don't love your capping technology. But if you're going to do something poorly, maybe make the caps not great, but make the optics awesome. And so they've done that. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, the, the optical performance, which is what we care about. Yeah. Um, hard, hard to complain about it, about any Nikon product usually. Yeah. So my wife, who's not an observer, uh, came out and had a look. Now I've had lots of four millimeter, five millimeter ish eyepieces in this scope. And she hasn't really been able to capture the view very easily. She said, it's like, it's hard to get her head steady. And I think she's talking about like the eye placement, like we referred to, like with the Nikon SW. For me, I observe lots. It's, it's a little bit finicky for eye placement, but I really don't think it's a showstopper. I think the Nikon SW five millimeter, I think that's a keeper eyepiece. I really like it a lot. But for her, it wasn't. She's just not an experienced observer. So it was difficult for her to capture the field of view. But last night I had the seven millimeter Pentax in the, uh, the Nikon uh, Barlow, which actually gives more power. So you would think that maybe this is gonna be more of a challenge. Um, and she had no problem at all with it. She loved it. She really likes that eyepiece because it's so easy to look through. And she was in heaven with that eyepiece and looking at 175 power. Uh, she just thought that was great. Um, so I was really happy with that because I actually told her, she was like, do you really need another telescope part? And I'm like, I'm buying this for you. And so and she came out and she had this great view. So, but it, but you know, and I mean, I know you're laughing, but in reality, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting all this stuff, but you really want it to perform. And then when your spouse is running, like, why are you doing this? And they come out and you're like, take a look. And she's just like, like I said, not an observer, but she is blown away. She's yeah, just like, yeah. that is an amazing view of Mars. She could see the polar cap. She could see, you know, the deserts. We were looking, I'll go into this more detail in a moment. We were looking at the clouds on Mars and she's able to see this stuff, um, which she couldn't when we were using a different setup. I could, but she couldn't because she just, she's just not as experienced at looking through a telescope. So any barrier to being steady or getting your eye just right. She's like, I need a different eyepiece. I want lower power. She knows that now. But last night she was finally able to really uh, enjoy those high power views. So that, you know, that was something. So after that, she was like, yeah, no, no complaints that you went and, and sprung for that barrel. <laughs> so. mm. That's a great endorsement. You know, I think anytime you have a, a person that 
doesn't have as much observing experience look through the gear and, and you know, be really impressed or notice the, yeah. uh, the nuances that really speaks loudly to the quality. Yeah. And I've, I've heard this other complaint. This is sort of a minor complaint. It kind of feels a bit looser. Like when you take an eyepiece out and it's just sitting, like you're kind of moving it around on your, on your eyepiece tray or whatever, it feels a little bit dainty maybe is the way to put it. Um, you kind of feel like you should be careful. Maybe you should be careful with a barlow that costs what this barlow costs. So anyway, does it, does it perform uh, to a very high standard? hundred percent. Does it work with the eyepieces and not mess up like the uh, make, make the uh, exit pupil difficult to obtain? It, it works perfectly. In fact, I almost felt like it was easier to look through the seven millimeter at 175 power than it is looking through it at only 105 power. So almost felt like there was a little bit of magic in there. And, and I, I can't say that um, like a five millimeter or four millimeter wide field would, uh, would be any better than that. Cause there's only two lens elements in it. So, you know, you're up into the multi-element eyepieces at that point anyway. And I did try, I did try the 5.1 XO and then I, yeah, I got to get a, chair or something because uh it's it's so many inches lower that i really have to stoop to look through it mm. and it did work it was fine um it seemed to sit up a little higher so i think it is giving me a little bit more power but that's fine so it's probably giving me around 240 power and honestly last night the sky in my opinion just wouldn't hold 240 or 250 power it was like a, a maxing out at a 200 ish power night so there was that yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see how that Nikon Barlow plays with the uh the Nav SWs as well. Um apparently that's a match made in heaven. And I'm I really can curious see it. about that whole line of eyepieces. So I'm I'm more I was originally I was curious, read all the reviews, lost my curiosity, you sprung for it. I'm like, great, I finally get to try it. Loved it, loved it way better than I thought I would. I was really shocked how good the Nikon X SW perform for me. Um, and I think, you know, and I've begun looking, this is probably, well, this definitely won't be this year because my, my budget is for Astro gear is, is done. Um, but next year, I think I'm going to look for a seven millimeter. I just like that. And I, I think I'm going to look for the seven millimeter Nikon and, and give that a whirl. I just uh, got to say, I, I was impressed. Now, it's not as easy to look through. I might even get a couple of them and use them. They'd be like roadshow eyepieces because like when we're down observing in the grasslands and it's just me or you and Mike, like if the eyepiece is a little bit more finicky to look through, no big deal. And when I'm home and I want that added comfort and I'm doing like, especially like the late night sessions and that um, versus, you know, more star party or hanging out with you guys or, or, uh, you know, doing some sort of other observing, typically wide field, lower power in the grasslands. Um, I think those would be excellent to take. I can't believe I'm actually saying I might end up with two sets of eyepieces. I never thought I'd be one of those people, but I might be one of those people. Wow. So I could, I can see a place for the Nikons and I can see a place for the Pentaxes in, in the stable. I think I can after last night. And I was like, oh, I don't want to, I, I don't know that I want to replace the Pentax in this scenario, but when I'm on the road, I think I would like to have um, the 10 and the 7 Nikon. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I I really, before I even get that far, I want to try the uh, Doctor. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, our, our time is probably ticking down. I don't have my phone up here. So if you've messaged me, how much, what time are we at Shane? We're at about 40 minutes. Okay. All right. So we have some time. All right. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about gear and then I'm going to give my observation. So um, I bought a new tripod. It's a very heavy duty tripod. It can hold 65 pounds. I was having a lot of shakiness with hundred millimeter. That Skywatcher 1.7 inch lagged tripod with the three H three, eight inch bolt is super stable. <laughs> Let me tell you. And my wife was like, why would you think it might not be? I'm like, yeah, why would I, it like, it looks very stable when you pull it out of the box. The, you know, my, my sort of review of it is this probably if I was to do it again, I probably would have just bought the standard one and got the adapter because in the end it cost ended up costing only 10 or $12 less. But um, let's see if things are like super stable um, and that's why I wanted it. So it does what I wanted it to do. And the price is right. Like Canadian, it was two ninety eight, I think in the end. And that's a, that's a pretty good price for, for a tripod. It's a basic tripod. Mm-hmm. I just wanted, I, all I wanted was a tripod that was stable and that I didn't really have to worry that much about. So like, you know, last night I took it out and I just left it out. You know, probably what I'll do is throw it in the garage for the winter and haul it out the front to look at, you know, I don't have to worry about leaving it in the garage or leaving it outside. Like, you know, it'd be heartbreaking if someone made off with it, but you know, it's not like a super expensive item, you know, as far as astronomy gear goes. So I don't mind leaving it out. I just threw a garbage bag over it and, you know, so the bugs don't get in. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, you know, it saves you from having to haul that in and out. So it adds some convenience, yeah. which is yeah. always good. Um, the three, eight inch bolt probably would work better with the, ad- I just don't like futzing with adapters, but because I have that, uh, little pier, when I set it up inside, I was able to, for whatever reason, I was able to get it, um, set up perfectly inside. So it was great, but I was still getting some rotation on that pier, which some people have complained about regardless of the tripod. Um, and I got to figure out how I locked it in that first time. So I was able to lock it in so that like, no matter what, it wouldn't rotate. And I've, I've been able to do that on my other tripods as well. But for some reason, I've struggled a little bit with this one last night. And that could be imparting. I feel like it's about 90% as stable as I want it, which is way stabler than it was if stabler is a word. Um, <laughs> and let's see, it has, and, and this is just like a pretty standard Skywatcher tripod. And it has this little tray, which I thought was kind of weak, but you know what? I think that tray is all I need. Like I was using it for the eyepieces that I have. I usually only use like three, maybe four eyepieces at once. Um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. So I, I was actually able to, to use that. I didn't think I would even use it at all, but it was, that was great. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was I just, you know, it, it did what I wanted to do. And, uh, and it does fit those parts, but in the end, probably I would have just bought the standard tripod and then put, uh, put an adapter on it. That's sort of my, my synopsis, uh, of that. And I think probably that's what Skywatcher should do. Cause then I was thinking like, I like the AZ GTI, but eventually I would like to get, uh, something like a Vixen, uh, super Polaris or super Polaris deluxe, like a used one. That's just, you know, if a good used one came up with an RE drive, I'd like to get that. And, uh, you know, then, then that wouldn't require getting a new tripod, but that's not a big deal. Sometimes those come with tripods anyway. So 
and it's not the really vintage. a critic. Yeah. The vintage ones. Yeah. Yeah. The vintage yeah. ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would just get a vintage one. I don't need it. Yeah. Them. Those, those are great mounts. I've sort of loosely wanted one and I've had an opportunity a couple of times to pick one up. I just, I can't justify it with all of the mounts that I have. Yeah. You've got it, more than I do. But yeah. I, I think that's what I want to get eventually is, is something like a super Polaris or super Polaris deluxe. Um, and I don't need the go-to, but I'm going to say this. I did take the time because there were some clouds last night at the start of the evening. And uh, I did take the time to actually properly set up the AZ GTI for GoTo, just because um, I tried it a few times and I never did a proper setup before. And I thought I really should just see like people, I've seen complaints from people about how it, uh, maybe it doesn't um, go to as well as some other mounts. And I really don't care that much about the go-to. I just thought it would be neat if I'm trying to observe back and forth between planets or whatever, if I could get it just a slew without having to undo the axis and then, and then slew across, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did the two-star alignment. I used uh, Mars and Altair, which is great because they're, they're pretty far apart in the sky. Um, it's a little bit futzy, like, you know, it, it's not quite as intuitive. I think there's like an extra step missing or something, or at least it's not, it's not as intuitive that you have to kind of click a button in order to let it know that you're actually on that object. It doesn't, I thought that it would figure out that I was pushing the telescope to the object, but it didn't. I think, I think there's like something missing in the software to actually grab that because uh, it has the dual encoders on this mount. Not to get into too much of the technical gook, but there's encoders that are on the mount. They're like chips and those chips are supposed to tell the mount where you're pointing it. And I thought if I just manhandled it to the object, that then it would know, but it's still, even once I did that, it still wanted me to press one of the buttons on the hand paddle. Hmm. Not a big deal. So I did that. I did Mars and Altair. And then I said, let's go to the moon. And it just put the moon outside of the field of view, which is fine. And then I centered it. And then, um, and then I said, go to Mars. And it dropped it right in the center of the field of view. And I put a high power eyepiece in and I never put my low power eyepiece in the rest of the night. And it was really cool to be able to kind of, uh, you know, just have a track at 175 power. And then I decided to go to 214 power with my Pentax three and a half millimeter. And I'll tell you, that is a phenomenal eyepiece. That is for high power, you know, you think a three and a half millimeter eyepiece, how much use would you get out of that eyepiece? I'm using an F seven and a half telescope definitely pushing the limits on that and that eyepiece. I will never get rid of that eyepiece. That is such a perfect eyepiece. I mm. love it. Yeah. It's a, that's a extreme focal length that, um, yeah. you know, it's hard to find like a good quality eyepiece in that focal length that gives you like the nice eye relief and the, the comfort that the Pentax provides. So yeah. I, I would like to look through that one night. I've never, I've never looked through that glass. Yeah. 214 power. And I go inside um, just because I was like, I just drawing my circles for my sketches and, and I just wanted a break. I was getting cold and tired after a couple hours and uh, came back out 30 minutes later and it was still there. So, you know, that is, is really nice. I still need to put the ADM saddle on. Did some sketching. I was able to see the uh, South Polar Cap, like you said, it's really tiny. I could see the Sirtis Major area. Like you said, it looks like the jaws of an alligator. In the middle of the alligator's mouth, I could see the Libyan desert, Libya. And, um, and we thought we could see a cloud deck over that. 
and then could follow the Sinusabius band along. I could see three other bands. I, I'm not going to go into all the details because we are getting a little bit short on time, but I could see uh, three other bands in there. I could see, I think it's Acadia up to the uh, northwest. Um, and then on the limb, on the western limb, when we first went out and we were first observing, um, we could see very clearly a large cloud deck. And then uh, I had my wife come out and I said, you know, do you see anything that looks like clouds? She said, absolutely, right here. And she described the same place as me. And she's not an observer. And I said, I think that's clouds. She said, yeah. She said, I wouldn't know that was clouds, but she said, there's this large sort of whitish area on the, on the like this, this spot. She described it. And then I said, do you see the other bright area up by, you know, I described the mouth of the, uh, the alligator as you put it. And yeah, absolutely. We could see a bright area in there. And so I don't know if it was, it was just the brightness of Libya, which is a brighter area. Um, that might be the case, but definitely on the Western side. And then she went in and I went in to, to do something and came back out and I could barely see it on the Western limb. And I said to her today, I'm glad you looked because uh, I would have doubted that observation here this morning. Yeah, that's a great observation. And then to the north, like later on, once I put uh, 214 power in and I had the Celestrum Mars filter, again, that Celestrum Mars filter is awesome. I was able to see um, like the atmosphere of Mars, which is what uh, uh, Jerry Schmoody um, and, and I were chatting about a couple of weeks ago, uh, where you can actually see like the polar haze and you're actually seeing the the atmosphere of the planet some cloud features and maybe some frost decking um, almost looks like secondary color and chromatic aberration but uh, it doesn't change as you move the planet around and it's only in that spot and it doesn't matter what eyepiece you're using you still see it um, you know uh, you know that's that's what you're looking at there so that was that was really really cool so I saw I think two maybe three atmospheric features saw probably five or six uh, uh, you know, albedo features on the planet, which is the light and dark areas. And then it almost looked like maybe, like eventually maybe that haze that we had seen on the west, maybe it kind of broke apart and had drifted over just south of the Sinusabius region. And then I drew a large sort of hazy area because every once in a while it would come clear. It was almost like, it was weird because it was almost like bad seeing, but just in one little spot on Mars. <laughs> so oh, it probably wow. would have been bad seeing if you were there. So I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to take a look. I did look at some images today and uh, I did see one report of a, of a cloud over Libya. So uh, I think that's what we were seeing. So we saw, I saw probably three atmospheric features. So that was a pretty big thrill. Huh. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great observation. Hopefully we have more of those types of nights in front of us. Yeah. Well, Shane, I think, I think we actually said we, we started this week. In fact, we started planning this podcast a few days ago on, on Thursday or Friday with me thinking we have nothing to talk about this week. And within <laughs> two days, we, we said we probably have three episodes worth. So I think we should just cut, cut the line there and start the next one, really. They start getting like long it. after a while. So yep, yep. how can people stay in touch with us? Uh, people can find us on Twitter at Actual Astronomy or leave us reviews on any of the podcast apps. And then finally, email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks so much. It was great chatting with you. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And thank you to everybody for listening.